Welcome everyone to our Ananda Sunday service. Special welcome to those that are guests at the Expanding Light and at the meditation retreat and any nearby visitors as well as those watching us on the internet online. My name is Nayaswami Pranava and this is Nayaswami Parvati. And this reading is taken from Rays of the One Light which is a collection of parallel passages from the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. Today's topic is called The Inner Kingdom. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. Most people imagine that the inner kingdom, as Jesus described it, lacks the fascination they attribute to sense life, the bright lights, the diverse attractions, the joys, and the laughter. Little do they realize what a vast universe exists in their own selves. There are many passages in the Old and New Testaments of the Bible that describe aspects of this inner kingdom. In the book of Genesis, we read, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This garden was in no earthly place. It exists even now in the very self of every human being. The legend of Adam and Eve is allegorical. It describes how the first human beings dissipated their spiritual energy, centered in the spine. The spine is the channel through which flows the river of baptism and of spiritual life. The Bhagavad Gita tells us, the wise speak of an eternal Ashvata tree with its roots above and its branches below. The tree of life, spoken of also in Genesis, is the spine. Its roots are above in the brain's energy. Its branches are the outward spreading nervous system. When the sap, which is to say the energy, flows downward, the consciousness is drawn into delusion. On the other hand, when the energy is drawn upward in deep meditation, the consciousness is drawn towards its eternal source, God, and is at last united with Him. Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita therefore urges his chief disciple Arjuna, to embrace the yoga science, the path of meditation. The yogi, he says, is greater than the ascetic, greater even than the followers of the paths of wisdom, jnana yoga, or of action, karma yoga. Be thou, O Arjuna, a yogi. For those who would find the divine truth, Krishna gives us the description of the yogi. Steadfast a lamp burns, sheltered from the wind. Steadfastly meditating, solitary. Such is the likeness of the yogi's mind, shut from sense storms and burning bright to heaven. Wherever you are, whatever your outward beliefs and observances, seek God in the silence of your soul. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. I also would like to welcome you all 
and the topic for the day, the inner kingdom, is an interesting one. But before we start off on that topic, I wanted to read you something that came out in Clarity Magazine a couple of years ago, and this was in their humor section. Because we're in such a politically intense time right now, I thought you might like to know who reads the newspapers. So this is a humorous take on that. The Wall Street Journal is read by the people who run the country. The New York Times is read by the people who think they run the country. (laughs) The Washington Post is read by people who think they ought to run the country. USA Today is read by people who think they ought to run the country, but don't understand the Washington Post. (laughs) I haven't read all these newspapers, so... But the Los Angeles Times is read by people who wouldn't mind running the country if they could spare the time. (laughs) The Boston Globe is read by people whose parents used to run the country. (laughs) The New York Daily News is read by people who aren't too sure who's running the country. (laughs) The New York Post is read by people who don't care who's running the country as long as they do something scandalous. (laughs) The San Francisco Chronicle is read by people who aren't sure there is a country or that a country is a good idea in the first place. (laughs) And the Miami Herald, finally, is read by people who are running another country. I don't, I don't know where that came from, but it's very fun. <laughs> so I would actually like to... Let's begin now, and I'll, uh, I'll read from Whispers from Eternity, a beautiful passage. This is Yogananda's Poems and Answered Prayers. Make me silent that I may eloquently converse with thee. Wandering through forests of incessant searching, I arrived at the mystery door which conceals thy presence. I knocked loudly on this door of silence with persistent blows of faith. At last the door opened, and I beheld thee resting on thy altar of glorious visions. I stood with restless gaze, waiting for thee to speak. Thy creation-making voice was inaudible. At last a deep stillness stole upon me and taught me in whispers the language of angels. With the lisping voice of my newborn freedom, I tried to speak. Suddenly the lights in thy temple wrote brilliantly in letters of light. In my little chamber of quietness, I am ever at rest. I never speak now but with the voice of silence. Through my silence, O divine lover, converse thou eloquently with me. So the inner kingdom is something that is quite real. Um, It may seem a little esoteric to some of us, even though we might have been hearing about it for a long time. I remember in the early years, a few of us used to joke, do I have chakras? Oh, really? (laughs) Um, But they're very uh, powerful 
realities to this inner kingdom. And they're so powerful that even though after millions of lifetimes getting to the human level and then many more millions of lifetimes in living in a human body and ignoring the inner kingdom completely, that it still calls to us. And uh, I was thinking, and, and you know, ignoring the inner kingdom completely, is that our fault? Well, in one way, as Yogananda said, you can blame God who created all of this, and you can say, well, I didn't you know, want to be born, I didn't want to get involved in all of this, because the outer sensory kingdom, if you want to call it that, is very seductive. It's very magnetic. It's very alluring. And I'm very happy that the singers sang this song this morning because that's exactly what it's about. I, my, me, mine. And the ego. And just all of the intensity that that brings and the alluring interest that that brings. So alluring that from the time we come into a human body until we begin to want to know about that inner kingdom and to know God, it's millions of lifetimes. It's incredible that it takes that long. So we inherit a kingdom and we ignore it. We don't do anything about it. So what happens with that inner kingdom over those millions of lifetimes? Well, it gets all covered with brambles and bushes and just things that obscure it to the point where people say, what inner kingdom? What are you talking about? Uh, This is reality. This is the real world. This is what life is all about. And it really takes quite a while before we come, as Yogananda said, to that sense of anguishing monotony. Because although the outer duality and maya, as it's called in India, the alluring and magnetic pull of all of that, it's not going anywhere. And it takes a long time to really fully grasp the delusion of it. You know, we call it delusion, there's a reason for that, because it keeps us so engaged for so long. But in reality, it can only always equal one thing, zero. Because, and Western science has proved this to us, for every plus, there's a minus. For every action, there's a reaction. For every up, there's a down. For every out, there's an in. For every joy, there's a sorrow. For every love, there's a hatred. For every state of health, there's disease. They're always in play, these opposites. And it's, it's very cleverly done in the fact that it isn't obvious, you know, I do this and this happens. No, you do this and maybe you do it a couple more times and then something happens in a, in a time when you think, why did that happen? What ha- why did that happen to me? Why did that come? But little by little you start to get a feel for the trick of it all. You know, it's called maya, the great delusion. And as Yogananda said, he said, it's not that the world isn't real. It just isn't 
as it appears to be. And that lack of appearance and that uh, ability to promise things that aren't possible is what keeps us engaged and keeps us going. But once we come to that place, and we pretty much as a soul have to come to that really extreme place where we really deeply know this isn't working, because we'll always think, well, but maybe if I just did it this way it would work, or maybe if I just got this particular job or that particular house or that particular person, it would all come together. Because inside of us, in this inner kingdom, the soul is always looking for fulfillment, completion, and it can never happen outside. It just isn't possible, but it takes a long time to come to the place where we say, okay, 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 I get it. It isn't working. Now what? Now what do I do? And Yogananda talks about the fact that once we understand that and we want to turn inward and to uh, come to uh, an understanding of what actually is going on in life, that we start to take up things like spiritual practices. First, we read about them. You know, we don't want to really be too fanatical here. So we, you know, we begin to read and we think, oh, that's not the truth. Wow, that feels really good. But it isn't enough because then life just goes on and as it's always been. And so we find that little by little we find that we must begin engaging and really changing our lives. And so there are two aspects to that that happen that really make it possible to change and to grow. And that is yogic meditation and spiritual living, right spiritual living. And those two, thank you, those two aspects are what we eventually come to and want to seek. And as we come to those, then we realize, ah, okay. First, we, we try everything outside. We're going to add on, you know. We'll, we'll add on a little. I'll add on, you know. We can, and we say that to people. You know, just meditate five minutes. You know, five minutes morning and evening. That's okay. Just add it on, knowing that it's not going to be enough, you know, to solve these deeper longings of the soul. Not because anybody is telling you that you must do this, but because your own soul begins calling to you, and that calling will not go away. And the more we feed it, the more it wants to come. And we want to try to open to it. So that yogic meditation and right spiritual living begins to come into play. And we begin to change our lives. And, you know, people will take up meditation even fairly seriously. And as Swami Kriyananda said, one woman came to him and said, I've been meditating six months and I don't have samadhi yet. You know, because, because you read Yogananda's autobiography and you think, wow, this is so easy, it's so common, it's so, 
easy to do. You know, you walk down the street and there's the saint with two bodies living a few houses away from you. And, you know, then the other, the great devotee is down on the other block. And, you know, you think, oh, well, this is natural. Except that it doesn't quite work that way. Yogananda was an avatar, and so he drew that kind of a neighborhood to live in. But for all of us, and God has given us free will. You know, God will never... People are always afraid spiritually of what's going to happen, but you will never, ever be imposed upon by God. That divine presence will never impose on you anything. And all of the things that we do spiritually, they have to be chosen. We have to want to engage in them. We can go to dogmatism for a while and go to a church where it lines out all the laws and all the things we need to do and the rules and, you know, everything. But that doesn't really work. And it doesn't really, again, satisfy that inner longing of the soul. That has to come from our own God-given free will and our own desire, our own love, our own wanting of it. And we have to wanted as we go along pretty deeply because Maya is still there going on you know all that duality and all that fun and games and the entertainment it still is there and what's inside of us why we would have any connection to any of that is karma you know what we have what do we do over those millions of lifetimes by the way Well, we did a lot of things. And we find, in fact, if you see it, you've done it. That's why after a while you come to the place where you can't really judge anybody. Because, you know, as the Buddha said, everyone, you have to love everyone in the world or you will love everyone in the world because you've been related to them at one point or another. doesn't matter how many billions of people there are. If they're in your orbit, you've been, you've been related in one way or another. And the worst sinner, the worst thing that you can see done, you've probably done it in some far-go lifetime at this point. But still, it's, it's part of the delusion, you know. And as Yogananda wrote in The Science of Religion, everybody in the world is looking for the same thing. They're looking to avoid pain and find fulfillment and happiness. It's very simple. The soul is very simple. It wants one thing, fulfillment in God. And until we come to that, until we start engaging in that, we're very restless and we're very wondering, wow, what's, what's happening and why can I not find fulfillment here? But we've, we come to that place where that is beginning to happen and then that pulls us that soul call starts to really pull us deeper and deeper not because anybody says this is what you should do but because we begin to long for it we want it and then we long for it and it's interesting in the um, uh, promise of immortality which is a wonderful book it has the first there are longer chapters on all of the readings for one half of the year. Swami didn't complete it. But in this particular um, uh, chapter, the inner kingdom, 
he gives many wonderful quotes from the Bible, both Old Testament and New, about these inner realities that are found within Christianity. And I wanted to read just uh, two of them. One is where Jesus, in his lifetime, states clearly, and these are things that you know, but it's nice to read the full uh, quote. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here, or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. That's from Luke. And then the other one that I found just beautiful which is from the Old Testament, Ezekiel. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. He's talking about the chakras, and he's really describing in one way Kriya Yoga walking up and down the stones of fire. The stones of fire are the chakras, and walking up and down them is passing that energy up and down in the spine. So in the Old Testament, really, even there. So when we come to this place of really needing to do something about this, if you have this path, then we have four techniques, basic core techniques, that will really allow you to once again get in touch with that inner kingdom. What, what is the inner kingdom, by the way? Yogananda said the spine and the brain are the altar of spirit. Because when we are formed, and it, we're formed, made in the image of God, it starts at the medulla. A couple of cells come together, and then the life force is drawn in there goes up to the brain, and then goes down the spine, going to each of the chakras and down to the bottom. And so we're made in that way. That's why it's it's said we're made in the image of God, because that life force is the divine, and that comes in and it enters there. So all the techniques that we have and the reason we meditate is to trace our way back into that inner kingdom. And so energization, the ability to use that God-given will and to draw energy, cosmic energy, the energy we will need to engage in the spiritual path to get back to that inner kingdom, to understand it again. Hong Sa takes that energy and focuses it in concentration and in breathlessness. If you go deep enough, breathlessness. The Om technique, then we're listening to those inner sounds, the sounds of the chakras. And so that also brings us more inward. And finally, all the techniques and initiations of Kriya Yoga bring us completely into the spine, where we're really working with that energy. You know, you can go and find charts. I used to have one, I was telling people the other night, of all the, the chakras and the, you know, the way the currents flow and all the, the planets and the right and the left and you know, everything that's associated with them. You can make a whole study of that, but that is not going to satisfy your soul. 
What we need to do is what works. And Kriya Yoga, as the par, the technique par excellence for going into the spine, brings us there immediately. And it will, it's a technique of liberation. So if you don't have it, think about working your way up to getting it, because it's quite powerful. And it will bring us into that inner kingdom in a way that we can bypass many of the pitfalls that other uh, ways of doing this uh, have, just because it's so direct with Kriya Yoga. Teresa Vavila spoke of the inner kingdom. She spoke of that inner kingdom and wrote about it. But in her time, those techniques were not as much known. And so now, in thinking about this inner kingdom, I thought, you know, the best thing we can do Practice. Go into it, use the techniques, and also use, once we come to that place of doing those techniques, have it be a life thing. You know, we call it the path of Kriya Yoga because it really is a way of life. And so you don't just kind of fit a little bit into it. I mean, this is what will work best. You can do it however you want, and we've all done that too. But really look at it as a way of life because then you bring you start to see life in ways that are reflective of your growing awareness and raising of your consciousness and so that maya that funny song that we heard at the beginning where it's so easy to see how ridiculous the ego is but the ego is not ridiculous the ego is very powerful but we start to get the they at the hang of it we start to get the trick of it and to really do, we do start to see that that's why swami kriyananda wrote those songs so that we could understand ah i see what the ego does i my me mine that's obvious the ego is usually a lot more subtle than that but still we get that understanding and therefore we understand why we're doing what we're doing in regard to spiritual practices and the spiritual life I'll close with this. Yogananda had many different devotees from all over the world and people of very well-known, very famous, very wealthy businessmen, actresses, singers, everything. But he also, this one man came to him, Herb Jeffries, and I really appreciated. He told a story about himself meeting Yogananda And uh, I really appreciated that he was so honest about it. He said, Yogananda, when he first met him, asked him a series of questions. And this is in the Awake movie, if you haven't seen it, take a look. But um, Yogananda said, So, um, do you drink alcoholic beverages? And Herb Jeffries was very, he was very open and honest. He knew he needed to be. And he said, yes, I do. And, uh, and Master said, well, you may continue. And he thought, really? And he said, and, and do you smoke cigarettes? And he said, yes. And he said, oh, that's okay, you, you may continue. And then he said, do you associate with loose women? And he said, yes. And... Uh, and Master said, that's fine, you, you may continue. 
And then he finally said, after all these various questions, I think there were others, he said, you mean I can come up here and, and just, you know, get these teachings and still live my life as, a, as I am? And Yogananda just sweetly said, he said, well, I can't promise that you'll want to. <laughs> when Swami Kriyananda went to see Ananda Ma for the first time, he was going in and one of her very close disciples said to him on the way in, Beware the cobra's bite. Because that bite of the divine, we're not talking about poison that kills, but it, but it kills your desire for that more outward life. And so as we engage in these things, we find that it has a deepening magnetism that's deeply satisfying to our soul. And it's something where we will never want to go back. It's not an easy thing. It's not, as we all know, when you say you're going to you know, step on the spiritual path, all kinds of things happen to you know, come in the way. But you know you're going in the right direction, and your soul knows that. And it is, as you walk along, deeply fulfilling and deeply inspiring, no matter what the obstacles may be.